Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Network, Colin Cowherd's podcast network. I am Chad Millman. I am going to be joined by my co-host, my BFF, my companion, professional better from the north coast of England to the south coast of Jersey, Mr. Simon Hunter. Hello, friends. Nicely done. So for this whole podcast chat, I will be talking like this the entire time. It is Masters Week. It's a peaceful week, and I'm excited that we're finally here. I'm excited that we're talking about the Masters as well. It's an appropriate change in tone of voice. In a few minutes, we'll be welcoming on Mr. Jason Sobel, the premier golf writer of his generation, on scene at Augusta right now, this entire week, covering it for the Action Network. We're super excited. We're going to talk about some great storylines in golf. We're going to get our master's bets and picks in, second master's in six months. But first, we're going to turn up, wait for it, the volume. You get it, Simon? Turn up the volume. Ding. Yeah, so good. Because look, every single week, it's even though it's April, there is NFL news. And this week, the NFL gave us a doozy because we had Sam Darnold, 23-year-old, by the way, 23-year-old Sam Darnold, grandson of the Marlboro man, getting shipped out of New York for second round picks, for fourth round picks, for fifth round picks, whatever it is, doesn't really matter. He's out. He's going to a team that we all expected to pick up a quarterback, although Sam Darnold was not the guy the Carolina Panthers. This has massive implications to me across the draft. It has implications across the rest of the NFL. It has implications regarding what is happening with Deshaun Watson and why he hasn't moved, which we thought would be the quarterback move that was going to get us betting on teams like Carolina or the Raiders or Washington, because we thought Deshaun Watson might land there. Clearly not happening anytime soon. Let's unpack this one by one. So as we come on to the air, as we start recording, Simon, news broke that a woman who has identified herself has filed criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. This situation, obviously, you and I are not even remotely qualified to weigh in on criminal charges, on civil charges, on civil suits, on what is happening in these complaints against Deshaun Watson. Um, but clearly, this is impacting so much about the trade market, quarterback movement, and uh, the rest of the NFL. Yeah. And like you just said, we don't have all the facts yet. Uh, this is one of these things that now that it is a criminal charge, it'll play out in court. And the more we read about it, the whole thing is just alarming. Uh, like their defense, his defense team tried to put out that he had 20 other masseuse or massage therapists say that he had been nothing but nice and polite to them. And so that brought the total of them up to like 40 of that we know about of people that he gets massages from. So that right there is weird. Um, and the fact that there's criminal charges now, it's just heartbreaking because like we talked all last season, we're both huge fans of the Sean Watson, the way he plays. I mean, if you haven't heard of this kid's background, his story, it's truly incredible what he's come from to the life he's built. So it's heartbreaking because it sounds like he's got demons and you, you just feel so awful for these women, like the effect he's had on their lives. So, yeah, we're in this position now where it's 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 getting scary. It, it feels like I don't want to say what was going to happen with this guy's career, but like 
going to turn it back to football. Their total right now is four and a half for Houston. I Like, how do you not take that under? With what's going on with him, we don't know. I just think there is value on that under. So we're, we're just going to try to keep this on the football side and because we don't have all the answers yet. So for me, if the starters, I'm going to fade this Houston team. I just think it's it's right now this is by far the worst franchise in football. Everything that's going on there, all the moves they've made the last couple of years, is just truly a, a, a fire. And for me, I'm just going to be going against it. So that's, that, that's the outlook on that. If we want to bring it to a brighter side with Carolina and the Jets – Hey, man, we're, we're going to break it down a lot here coming up about these quarterbacks, but I, I don't like what the Jets did. I am, a, I am a Sam Darnold believer. Like you just said, 23 years old. The man was under Adam Gase. Adam Gase is not respected by anyone. I mean, media or coaches. People just think that guy is a buffoon. So when I, I'm looking at the whole situation, I'm thinking this guy, he was broken there. Like that whole clip of him saying he was seeing ghosts. I mean, that, just, that, was, that was haunted him for the last two years. So New start for him. For them, it's a great deal. It's two years. If he's a bust, they'll get rid of him. I mean, they, they guarantee the fifth year. I think it's $19 million. This year, it's only paying him $4 million. So they still have room to make deals, even though they do have Teddy on contract right now. But love the move for Carolina for the Jets. Again, we'll get into the quarterback situation. Why not? They're, they know they have so many things they need to do. If that's what they want to do with the franchise, they want to start over and draft a quarterback. Who am I to say that's the wrong move? Because there is a really good crop of quarterbacks this year. So... If Joe Douglas is a guy targeted, he likes for the Jets, great. But for me, this is one of those where it, it pretty much just it, it lowers the value on the Jets' upcoming season. They're, it's one of those where I'll be looking towards their under now just because they're in a division like we talked about. The Bills have improved, the Patriots have improved, and Miami has improved. So the Jets feel like they took a step back. So I still look at them as the fourth seed in that division. But are you now looking at Carolina as a potential overplay? Like I already made, like we talked about, we already bet on teams because we thought they were in play for Watson. So I'm already invested in the Carolina. I'm going to hold off. I'm going to wait to bet their team total because I don't think there's going to be too much movement on it because um, I just want to see if they're going to do anything else. Because right now, I, I'm still I still a little uneasy about teams that have a guy like Teddy Bridgewater there and Sam. Like I feel like that's just awkward. That isn't. I know they say breeds competition, but I don't really like that whole situation. So for me, I'm not going to touch them anymore, but it's still that division is still the bucks. You know what I mean? Like we, me and you, we both think New Orleans is all right, but with Winston, we, we still think the, the gap between Winston and Brady is so huge that we're still, we still like the bucks for that division. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching anymore. What do you like about Sam Darnold? Why are you a believer? I've seen these little moments he has of off balance throws, pressure in his face that are true. Like you're just born with it. Like he, he has gifts and at 23, the fact that he has three years of the NFL already under him, he knows what he's looking at. He gets the league. He just got moved to a different team. So he gets that it's a business. I just, man, I, I just can't get over the fact that, like we're talking about this draft coming up, these quarterbacks, man, like Zach Wilson, I, I can't get over how much hype. Like his agent is the greatest agent ever. Like the fact that he has all these networks, all these guys pumping him like this, Go look at this kid's numbers. He played for three years at BYU. Okay, I get it. He had an incredible year last year. Look at the tape and look at the years before that. So it's one of those where this, this kid, I get it. I don't see any gap between him or Darnold. I think, honestly, Darnold coming out of college from USC, a top program against really good competition. When he came out, I had, him, I had a higher grade on him than this Zach Wilson. So, again, I, I think that I'm excited for Sam just because he actually got a chance here. Where, like, Rosen, he didn't get a chance. He was done. 
And it's one of those where it is scary when you're getting moved like these quarterbacks. But again, we have so much time to break all this stuff down for the whole whole summer. But you're going to see it. I'm going to be definitely harping up uh, Sam Darnold because I just love what he's going into, the weapons on that team of Carolina. Well, look, you're right. We got a long time to talk about it. Uh, and Zach Wilson is right now the odds-on favorite to go to the New York Jets uh, with the number two pick, um, which would mean – we're going with Trevor Lawrence to the Jags at number one, Zach Wilson to the Jets at number two. And uh, the way the Twitter sphere is talking about it, it could be Mac Jones, number three, to the uh, San Francisco 49ers. And it's just going to be an amazing confluence to see how these quarterbacks go, how these teams are impacted, and then what we are doing. Because like the trick to winning season win totals, the trick to winning futures is to bet it before all the pieces are done. So you can get the best of the number. Um, that's what we've been trying to do since the season ended for the past uh, couple of months. And at this point, I bet every team's future outs. So I really, I can't lose. That's really it. Right. And that's I'm not telling people to bet anymore because, like I said, me and you've already hit a lot of these. We've gotten the value. I'm not trying to give people out less value at this point in the season. Like we've kind of missed the window where the difference from right now until August, it might only be a couple hundred. So that's why I wouldn't worry too much about if you missed that on these odds, because they're not going to change that much at this point. All right. Let's do what we came here to do, which is talk to talk to a man who may be the most plugged in, the most connected, the most informed, the most celebrated. Uh Golf writer of his generation. I think when you talk about golf writers, you talk about Dan Jenkins, and then you talk about Jason Silver of the Action Network, who is currently in a closet in Augusta, getting ready to record this podcast and hosting his serious XM radio show, for whom he will also be doing day-to-day golf coverage during the Masters. Yes, Jason. Hello, Chad. Hello, Simon. Uh, two things. First of all, I, I think the intro needs a little work. Let's see if you can pump me up a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, secondly, I, yes, it looks like I'm in a closet right here. I will tell you, first of all, this is the most soundproof booth that I could find in the entire place. And also, I have basically turned this into my own office. Normally, as... Uh, on a credential for a writer, you, like you sit in a spot and there's people next to you and there's people in front of you and behind you and you got this little space and it's better than every other media center in the entire world, but you're still just kind of sitting in a seat all day. I have procured an office in the bowels of the Augusta National Press Building, which is unprecedented, honestly. So I am pretty proud of myself that I was actually able to get this spot for the entire week. That's because you are the most celebrated, respected, <laughs> informed, community. Golf writer of your generation. How's it going in Augusta? Like, just give us some flavor and color not having been there for so long. It's great. I was not here in November, so it's been two years to the week that I have been at Augusta. And every time it's like, you know, going to Disney World for the first time. This place is amazing. Everything they do is just first class, top notch. Uh, the golf course is going to be fantastic this week. I think that 
What we saw in November was a very different kind of Masters. We saw a soft golf course. There, there's nothing you can do. It's just going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot different in November than it is in April. And so this golf course is going to bite back this week. It's already fast and firm as we talk here on Tuesday afternoon. It has a potential of getting really fast and really firm for this weekend. I think this is going to be an awesome event. You know, at the Derby, there's always like Whisper Wednesday, right? Where mm-hmm. the 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 horses have run the course, the jockey, the the trainers are starting to talk, the gamblers are starting to talk in the stables about who's performing well, who's got good form. Have you been able to see anything? Have you been able to be on the course, see people playing practice rounds, pe- see people on the driving range, chipping, putting, whatever? I, I have not been out there that much yet. I've heard some... Some rumors, some talk here and there. Dustin Johnson was spraying it. One of the other writers told me, and uh, I actually had a player who was playing with Dustin Johnson before the PGA Championship last year in a practice round texting me and saying, wow, DJ's spraying it all over the place. Fade DJ this week. And DJ wound up as the 54-hole leader and finished in second place that week. And so the moral of the story is there's not a whole lot you can see on a Tuesday or Wednesday that should define – what you uh, bet on and what you decide on for Thursday and beyond, because um, things change a lot. And I, I have spoken with players for years and years about, you know, a guy on Tuesday is like, man, I'm just not hitting it well. I'm like, well, that's good because it's Tuesday and the tournament hasn't started for 48 more hours. So you're not supposed to be hitting it well. And then I've had guys on Wednesday, go, man, I'm striping. it. I'm like, well, that's bad news. Stripe it on a Wednesday. By the time Sunday comes, you ain't going to be striping it again anymore. So, uh, you know, th- there's a lot to be said for uh, watch out for the guys. They always say in golf, watch out for the uh, injured golfer. Beware the injured golfer. And so there's something to be said for beware the guy who's spraying it on a Tuesday and a Wednesday as well, because uh, the world's best players can fix that within a day or two in some circumstances. And if they do, then things can change in a very, very quick amount of time. Jason, man, I'm just so happy to be here talking golf with you and talking Masters. It, it feels like – I just remember last year when it didn't happen, I was just like, I, I need Augusta. It's like even though I'm not a dire golf guy, it's one of those that it's just it, – it's like the spring is coming. It's, it's like the smell in the air, the whole feeling of Augusta, Jim Nance coming in. And now that we're back, I have to ask what everyone's been asking me. Have you seen a squirrel on the grounds of Augusta since you've been there? No, 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 no. They don't have squirrels here. Uh, there will never so be a squirrel that's true. you will not find a squirrel. No, that, that does not happen. Uh, I will say big picture. And look, I, I don't want to read too much into this. I don't want to you know, make it sound like it's too profound or anything like that. But the world's been in a weird place for over a year now. And the fact that it's April, the azaleas are blooming, we're in Augusta, they're playing the Masters. There's not a whole lot that's felt normal in the past year plus this finally feels like some sense of normalcy as they uh, say here at Augusta, we may be on the second nine and going downhill in sort of world sociology parlance, if we, if you will. But I I think that normalcy and normal is a good thing right now. And this feels uh, like I said, it it just feels normal this week to be back here uh, in April. And talking about the tournament and at the prestige of this tournament, when when you're looking at betting these golfers, does that play a role in it where you're thinking about, Guys who are inexperienced, maybe they don't won't feel as much pressure as guys who've been in the tour longer. They can kind of feel that pressure get on the longer stretch because you know you never you, you, when the older you get, you don't have many chances you'll have to win a master. So I was wondering, do you even factor any of that kind of thing? That it's such a it's the it's the one it's the green jacket. Do you factor it into all the handicapping any of these guys? 
it's not a huge factor for me. I think what I do is look at guys who have struggled for a long time to win this golf tournament. Rory McIlroy is a great example. He might be the prime example. He has been in the top five on the odds board at the Masters for the last 10 years. And so that's a lot of really good, really consistent golf, a lot of really good finishes here at this event, and yet still searching for that green jacket, which would, of course, complete his career Grand Slam. He'd become the sixth player ever to join that exclusive club. And so you look at Rory and say, you know what? There's probably a little more pressure, a little more stress on him every time he comes to Augusta because all of that is weighing on him, all of those close calls, those near misses over the years. On the other side of the spectrum, you look at a guy, there's only six players playing for the first time this year, but a couple of them are pretty good. Will Zalatoris is a guy that I like. Carlos Ortiz is not a bad player. And so you look at these guys and say, you know what? They're they're just not going to show up their first time and seriously contend for this title. They might play well, but they're not going to seriously contend. You're looking for guys in that sweet spot. Justin Thomas, again, another really good example. He's played in this event six times. And the seventh, uh, or excuse me, he's played five previous times. This is his sixth time. And and the sixth time is about sort of that sweet spot where guys really start to figure out this golf course, start to figure out how to score at this golf tournament. And Justin Thomas has improved in each of his five previous results playing in the Masters. And so you look at that and say, you know, he's a guy that's certainly trending in the right direction here. There are other guys that are trending the right way. And you look for guys that kind of have those patterns to them at this golf course over the years. So <clears throat> I listened to you and uh, 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 Justin Ray mm-hmm. on the podcast on the action network podcast. You had a very interesting premonition where you went to bed. Mm-hmm. There, there's four names that I want to talk about. Okay. Four specific names. Um I want to talk about Justin Thomas, which you talked about a little bit. I think there's a deeper dive to do there. I want to talk about Jordan Spieth. I want to talk about John Rahm. And then I want to talk about Brooks Kepka. The first thing I want to do is talk about your premonition. You went to bed before you wrote your massive master's preview, thinking you were locked in on one thing. You woke up in the morning with a different mindset. What happened? Okay, so the whole story is for weeks now, I've been planning to take Jordan Spieth as my favorite outright play here at Augusta. What happened was Jordan Spieth went and won the Valero Texas Open on Sunday, and the entire world is on Jordan Spieth. And what I've found, at least in the golf space, over the years is that in the non-Tiger Woods category, when everybody is taking one guy, You better take somebody else. When they zig, you've got to zag because it just doesn't work out that way. I still love Spieth this week. There was just a little bit from Sunday's final round that I didn't love. And again, I was listening on the radio the whole time. I was listening to PGA Tour radio. And so I wasn't actually watching it because I was driving up to Augusta. But they talked about him fighting that right to left ball flight and eventually just playing a fade the entire day off the tee. Well, Augusta National is a draw golf course. You've got to be able to work the ball right to left. If he cannot figure out in these three practice days how to work the ball right to left off the tee, I think that's going to be a little trouble for Jordan Spieth. That said, I still really, really like him. I don't really see a scenario in which he isn't at least on the leaderboard and in the mix coming into this one. So I was planning to take Jordan Spieth and then I started driving, Jordan Spieth started winning, and I started thinking, and I'm like, man, 
Jordan's going to win this thing and I, everyone's going to be on Jordan. I, I can't do it. Uh, it just feels like I'm jumping on the bandwagon now. Three weeks ago, it would have looked like, wow, you're taking a Jordan Spieth to win it. He hasn't won in years. Why are you taking him? Now it's like, oh, yeah, of course you're taking Jordan. He just won. And so I said, I got to get off this bandwagon. So I started thinking about Xander Shoffley, who hasn't played well lately, but I really like him in big-time events. In fact, as I was driving, I texted Justin Ray and said, talk me out of taking Xander Shoffley as my favorite play this week. And he sent me a whole bunch of stats, and they said, I, I can't do it. I really like him. Uh, he's, I'm looking for something. And other than he hasn't played great in his last three or four starts, I don't have a reason to talk you off of Xander Shoffley. I said, all right, well, I guess I'm writing Xander Shoffley. I got back to the rental house that night. And sat down, started writing. I was writing until 2, 2.30 in the morning and went to bed with Xander Shoffley at number one on my list. I don't know what I dreamed about that night. I'm not sure if it was a dream, a nightmare, what was going on. I woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning and, like, eyes wide awake go, nope, it's John Rom. It's not Xander anymore. It's John Rom. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know how. Uh, maybe it's sort of the John Rom baby thing got in my mind. Um, if you haven't heard John Rom's wife was pregnant with her first child. He had said a few weeks ago, if the baby does not come by master's week, I'm out. You know, if, if, if it looks like the baby's going to come that week, then I'm just going to pack up and leave. If she goes into labor, well, they had the baby on Sunday. He was able to be with them for a day or two and then come here to Augusta and should be fine. And in fact, that's the exact same scenario that Danny Willett had five years ago. Looked like he was going to miss this event. The boy was born early and he made it and he made history. So uh, I do like those parallels for John Rom this week. And so, yeah, I, within a four and a half hour span where I wasn't even awake, my first pick changed. And maybe there's a lesson in that for some betters out there. I, I think you have to remain flexible. You have to remain malleable uh, with your plays, especially in golf. It's, this is not a football game where you just look at it and say, well, it's either this side or that side. I'm committed to this side. So I'm going to stick with them and not backtrack on my play in golf where there's 88 players in the field this week, it's okay if on Tuesday you really like somebody and then on Wednesday you say, you know what, I also might want to back him. And then after the first round, going into the second round, you know what, I'm going to pick him up live and add him to my card as well. That's okay. And I think we have to remember that uh, just because we like a guy at one point coming into the event, that can't be our only guy and we don't have to stick with him the entire time. And I saw saw a really interesting statistic that for the Masters, it's been glaring how often it's only guys in the top 50 that win. So when I'm just looking at value, guys, is that one of the things I should look at where I shouldn't go above the top 50 guys? Should I just play that, that like that, that number works out, that you have to be in the top 50 to, to win the Masters? Should I, should I ride that trend? You will absolutely see a top 50 player in the world win this week, especially this tournament where there's just not as many other players outside of the top 50 who are in the mix um, I would venture to say you'll probably see a top 20 type player win this golf tournament. I mean, uh, there are a lot of really good players in the world. I love a handful of guys for top 10, top 20 type plays. Uh, what we saw last year, and we've seen it over the years. In fact, 27% of the players who finished in the top 10 over the last 10 years here at Augusta National had odds in the triple digits or longer coming into the week for outright odds. And so um, there's definitely some value there if you're looking at guys just to make it onto the leaderboard just for prop bets like that. If you're looking for a winner, I I just wouldn't look that far down the line. I wouldn't look past guys at 
For the most part, 35, 40, 45 to one. There's a couple of guys who are experienced. I just think their numbers are too big right now. Adam Scott has been drifting to about 75 to one. I think he's still a pretty decent play because that guy can win a golf tournament any given week. Jason Day, who's close to 100 to one in some books. Uh, I, I think there's some value on Jason Day who can, again, any given week go win a golf tournament. But for the most part, if you just want to sprinkle a bunch of Big play outrights that, you know, hey, if I win, I'm going to get rich this week. We'll see what happens. They're just not going to hit. Save those for the Texas Open. Save those for the RBC Heritage next week. Um, Save those for the events where those players can indeed go out there and have a chance of winning. It's just it's not going to happen this week. If you really want to dig deeper and find some guys that you like at bigger prices, just take them for top 10s, take them for top 20s. I think that because there are so many – bets out there because there's so many different books offering so many different things. You can find some uh, pretty good prices if you shop around for guys to uh, just fit those props. So you and Justin talked about, you mentioned Jordan Spieth and you guys on the Action Network podcast talked about Spieth and um, his success at Valero this past week, but then heading into Augusta. One thing that stood out to me, and it's actually germane to the conversation Simon and I had before you jumped on, which was about Sam Darnold is only 23 years old, but he's already been in the league for so long that you have a feeling about, you know him, what his capabilities are. Jordan Spieth is similar, where he came on so fast, so strong, so hot, winning majors before anybody really knew who he was. And all of a sudden he's, you know, had this drought that has lasted, I think you said 1,353 days it started when he was like 23 years old mm-hmm. and he's only 27. Justin had a stat on the podcast that he has had led more rounds at the masters than anybody except for the big three and tiger. Am I accurate? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. That is an amazing, that's amazing to me that we're talking about a guy who a lot of people, if you had said that, if you had said, how old is, is Jordan Spieth? I think people would have said 30 to 35. His master's career is going to, if he continues on this trajectory, be historic someday. And it doesn't mean he's going to necessarily pass or, or tie Jack Nicholas with six career green jackets, but because he started not just playing at, an, at such an early age, but succeeding at such an early age, uh, just going to compile numbers that, are going to take a really long time for people to catch up to. I, I liken it to Sergio Garcia, who, if you didn't know, is 41 years old, I believe, right now, and by far the all-time leading points getter at the Ryder Cup, uh, basically because he started playing the thing when he was 19 years old and hasn't really stopped the entire time. I think he's missed one of them in that time. And so he's just the volume of matches that he's played in has given him more chances to go out there and accumulate points. And Jordan Spieth is going to be the same way. I mean, Tiger was, of course, uh, a prime example of that. Seve was, too. Uh, Nicholas, of course. I mean, the greats of the game. But uh, we put Jordan Spieth sort of on the same pedestal as those guys as far as success at a young age at Augusta National. And really, everything is trending for him in the right direction this week. I mean, uh, guys talk about peaking four times a year and tiger has said this for two decades and i have spent much of those two decades asking some of the game's best players how do you peak how how do you decide that you want to peak four times a year 
And my favorite answer ever was when I asked it Jason Day a couple of years ago. And he looks at me and goes, I, I don't know. I just say it because it sounds good because Tiger says it. But <laughs> I, I have no idea how to get my game to peak. He's like, if I'm playing really well two weeks before the Masters, I don't go, whoa, whoa, I better slow down and save some of this. He goes, no, I just keep trying to play well. So uh, there's no real way to make yourself peak four times a year. That said, Jordan Spieth is definitely peaking coming into this one. And this is the place where he wants to be peaking because uh, his results tend to trend in a very, very good direction here. Speaking of peaking in majors, am I insane for liking Brooks Kepka so much heading into this? I know he's coming off major knee surgery, but this is the guy we've seen in majors perform. So it, like for people out there, am I being crazy and betting chalk here in Brooks? Yeah. So I'm 26, 28 to one. I loved his quote from the other day. Some reporters caught up to him on Sunday when he was here in the afternoon and they asked him about, you know, how's your knee? Are you definitely going to play this week? Because he had knee surgery just three or four weeks ago. I mean, we didn't think he'd be here. And now he's not only here, but he told the reporters, look, if I thought I was just going to come in second place, I would have just stayed home. I mean, whew, that is a Tiger Woods-like quote right there. I love hearing Brooks say that. And Brooks has been tweeting out gifts and, uh, and, and getting his chest puffed out against uh, all these people saying he can't do it. He, no player in golf plays better with a chip on their shoulder than Brooks Kepka. Usually, it's unfounded. It, usually, it's uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder for uh, what? Because somebody said he might not be the best player in the game. I mean, usually it's like, well, why, why does he have a chip on his shoulder? He, every, he's really good. Everyone knows he's really good. He wins majors. Everyone thinks it's great. I, you know, there's no reason to have that. And yet uh, this week, there are some people who are doubting Brooks. They don't think he can come back this quickly from the knee surgery. Uh, they didn't think he'd be playing. They don't think he's going to succeed. And Brooks has got this big old Bryson-sized chip on his shoulder. He's going to take that to the first tee with him. And, and I don't doubt. I, I think, Simon, the key for Brooks this week is come out and play just an even par round in the first round. Just get out of there and, like, you know, feel okay and play well and, and get a sense of competition again. Second round, 70-71 is fine. One or two under. And, and he might be in 30th place going into the weekend. And if he is, I'm going to hammer hammer Brooks live because he can go 68-68 on the weekend. That puts him at 9 or 10 under. And from all reports of what the players are saying, 9 or 10 under could win this golf tournament. So I, I don't put it past Brooks to go out there and start to prove people wrong. Whether people are really saying it or not, he's going to prove them wrong if that's in his mind that people are saying he can't do it. I love how mad Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau are. What are they so Bryson's not. No, Bryson's not mad. He swings. He's a like... mad scientist, but he's not mad. He swings mad. Yeah. Did you see him at the range yesterday? It was, it was, it was like staring those, at him like, what are you doing? It was like those old Babe Ruth movies where <laughs> yes. it's fed up in black and white. Yeah. It doesn't even look like he's doing a sort of form focused mechanical golf swing. It just looks like he's, you know, happy fucking Gilmoring out there. Well, he said today it was a good workout. He was in the interview room and he said, you know, I just, you know, I want to get a good sweat out there. A good workout. I, I, sure. I don't know. I look, we all know that length is a major advantage in this game. If you can hit it further than everybody else, you are going to have a huge benefit over the rest of the field. I think that works less at Augusta national than most other places. It was a brilliant 
plan for Wingfoot last year for the U.S. Open. Honestly, it's a brilliant plan for every U.S. Open. Bryson should win five of the next 10 U.S. Opens. That's the golf tournament where his strategy is just going to work better than everybody else's. Every, everyone's going to miss the fairway because the fairways are really narrow. And so if everyone misses the fairway, I'd rather have the guy who's hitting a ball from 160 in the rough than 210 in the rough. And that's exactly the, the advantage that Bryson gets from having that length off the tee. At Augusta National, it doesn't quite work. This is a second-shot golf course. Now, his iron play has been really good this year. His putting has been really good this year. Uh, traditionally, his putting is not good on this golf course. And so I, I don't love Bryson this week, but I think he's a prototypical high-floor, high-ceiling, low-floor guy this week. I, I think I can see anything from Bryson winning by five to missing the cut this week, and that's what makes him so intriguing as sort of an X-factor. I guess I just feel like I watch him swing and, you know, there are people who play the long game and people who just go balls out. Right. Mm -hmm. And I watch him swing. And to me, it encapsulates. Here's a dude who's saying, fuck it. I don't care what this is going to do to my body. I don't care the, what impact it has on the length of my career. I'm going to swing as hard as I can win as many golf tournaments as I can in, it doesn't matter how long I end up playing. This is how I think I can win the most in the shortest amount of time. That's the biggest criticism of Bryson is that the, the people, the public, the common man will sit out there and say, dude, oh, he's not going to be able to do this for 20 more on, years. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. I'm not criticizing it. I'm saying no, that I, I, I'm not saying you, yeah. I'm not saying you, I, I'm saying just the public. They, these are the tweeters who will tweet me after I tweet something about Bryson. Oh, he's not going to be able to keep this up forever. To which I know Bryson would say, actually, I've, I've asked Bryson. Bryson says, well, I'm healthier now than I've ever been before, so why can't I keep doing it? Which is a fairly good answer. And my answer to it is, any of us in our careers, if you have a chance to strike while the irons are hot, and you have a chance to really build on something in your career, and you know that, hey, I might not have great longevity, but I might be able to retire at an early age after giving it all I had and making as much money and making the most out of my career in my prime years. Who's going to say no to that? Um, and, and I love what Bryson has done. Uh, I spoke with him for an article uh, last year that we wrote sort of based on our uh, de facto slogan with the Action Network, bet on yourself. And I said, Bryson, you know, you've really, you've bet on yourself here in your game. You were a top 10 player in the world and said, you know what? If I want to become a number one player in the world, I need to change my body. I need to change how I train. I need to change how I swing. I need to change everything about what I'm doing. He did that knowing the risk was involved that he might never be good again. He might just become 40 pounds heavier and have a, a really fast swing speed and never be able to make a putt, never be able to chip the ball and may never find any success again. Within a year, within two years, he was a U.S. Open champion. He was a top five player in the world. So his bet has paid off in dividends so far. Now, I know that the Augusta, it's kind of a, not a crapshoot, but like you just said, there's always guys you can take long shot odds to finish in the top 10. Are there any mm -hmm. guys that you really focused on that you're, you're like, okay, I can see a scenario of this guy playing into Sunday and having a chance to finish in the top 10 that are like really good odds before the tournament starts? This isn't much of a long shot. He's played really well this year. He's got three top five finishes in his last six starts, and he's played well at Augusta in the past as well. I think he's got four top tens and 
uh, three finishes of sixth or better. But I love Paul Casey this week. Just everything is trending in the right direction. He's not a big number. I think you find him at 35 to one in most books right around that price. And so, uh, you know, I'm not taking a name that's way out of nowhere that no one's going to be talking about, but I just think his game is suited for this golf course. He hits the ball with his irons, maybe higher than just about anybody else. So does John Rahm, who's actually my favorite pick out there, but uh, high ball hitters are going to have a huge advantage on a fast, firm golf course where if you hit it low, there's no telling where the ball's going to wind up. You hit it high, you can control the trajectory, you can control where the ball's going to land, and I think that's going to be a major factor this week. So I like the high ball hitters more so than those low ball hitters. All right, so here's the list I got. I want to wrap this up for people so they can be thinking about how they want to bet. Because at the top, I would say your top four, John Rahm, Jordan Spieth, Mm -hmm. Xander Shoffley, Mm -hmm. Justin Thomas. Paul Casey might sneak in there. Well, Paul Casey said we're flexible. Paul Casey to me was going to be okay. If you're looking for a little more value, Mm -hmm. then you want to go with Paul Casey. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then to me, I also, I am on Brooks Kepka. I like that one a lot just because I like his attitude. I like the idea of him going back to Augusta, coming off of neurosurgery, knee surgery three days later and just saying, fuck you. I'm still the best major player in the world. And this is what I can do. And look, if you can get Brooks Kepka at anywhere from 20 to 40 to one, then he's worth a taste. That's what I think. I'm working on my ranking of the entire field right now. I usually have it out by Monday, but I'm doing a lot of things. I'm doing a lot of work out here. So it's right. get off you know my what? Back, Chad. Traffic right? is flying off the shelves this week. If you Sometimes come out you with hold that, back a little bit, you can't just give them everything on Monday morning and let them go through the whole site. You exactly. Just, you and know, it's, hold it's, back a little. It's so overwhelming. In any case, still working on it, but uh, should be done soon. Should be posted by uh, Tuesday evening if my editor gets to it. And I've got Brooks Kepka at I believe eleventh on my list. So that's uh, that's right in the mix. Uh, you know, certainly I can see him finishing higher than that. By the way, I'll give you a few names. If you really want to go, you guys keep asking about long shots, and I really, really haven't given you long shot, long shots. I gave you Paul Casey, which is a sort of mid to upper tier guy anyway. Do uh, it. A few guys that I really like. Corey Connors, who's about 80 to 1 right now. Jason Kokrak, who's played great lately. Uh, three straight top 10s in his last three stroke play events. Uh, Will Zalatoris, who's playing here for the first time. I have not seen a number for this, but if you can find a number at anything plus money, for Will Zalatoris to be the uh, low Masters debutante. I always think it's weird when they call him debutante, uh, as if they're going to the the ball uh, on Friday night. But uh, in any case, they call him Masters debutante. So if you can find Will Zalatoris as low Masters debutante at like a plus 120 to plus 150, hammer that. I really like that one. So there, there are some guys out there that you can find some value on. I don't think any of those three guys are going to win, but can they finish top five, top ten? Just based on what we saw last year, we saw Cameron Smith, Sung M, and Dylan Fratelli all in the top five. They were all triple-digit odds going into the event. C.T. Pan finished in the share of seventh place. He was 1,000 to one. I mean, if you had just, uh, just a top 10 play on C.T. Pan at last year's Masters, it would have covered every other bet you made. That's why I was asking, because like, that's what I love about golf. Like you just said in football, like you just gave up Paul Casey. You're like, yeah, it's only 3,500. Me and Chad, like the odds of us in any bet in the football season that's plus 3,500 is maybe one every couple of years. So 
That was definitely when you said that. It's just like, this is why I love golf, man. I hit one golf bet at a, maybe if I say I bet like 12 to 13 tournaments. I'm Like you just said, I'm pretty much good as long as I'm betting 100 each time. Mm-hmm. Good for the season. So that's what I love doing, man. I'll, I'll probably bet like five to $1,000. dollars well, I'll do 100 on each guy, a couple top 10, couple top, top five finishes, and I'll do two or three to, to win it all. And the golden age of Tiger, man, that was like – his odds always weren't great, but it was one of those where it's like, man, if I just keep investing in Tiger, I'm going to get the return. And we were all hoping that with Spieth, we were waiting for the next guy. Maybe it's Brooks and or whoever's going to come along, the next guy. But it definitely feels like in this term, like you just said, it does feel wide open. Like you just said, you gave us a bunch of guys. It feels like there is no just one guy that really has the huge advantage going in. So I'm just really excited about betting these long shots because I do feel like there is opportunity this one. I feel like, and granted, I was really not betting on golf. I was uh, trying to wear my journalist hat in the uh, Tiger era when he was really in his prime. But um, I, I feel like betting on the game is way more interesting now than it would have been 15 years ago because Tiger was dominating. There, I, I went through the archives at one point. Um, I think it was before Bay Hill last year and looked at Tiger's shortest odds in the tournament. I believe he was he was either even money or like a plus 110 to beat the entire field, like to win outright at an event. It was maybe like one of the events like 2003 at Bay Hill or something like that, where he had won there six times already and was coming in on a heater. And it was like, I, how could you bet? It? And then you look at a football game and you say, well, uh, you know, plus 110. Okay, I'll take them on the money line. Yeah, that, that sort of makes sense. Um, and, and so I, it's funny, Simon, I try to keep that in mind when I look at, a guy like Paul Casey, it's like, well, he's only plus 3,000, plus 3,500. I don't know. I kind of want a bigger number that can hammer. And then you think about every other sport, and you're like, I'm never getting a number like that anywhere else. So, uh, yeah, there is some value in taking those numbers. All right, fellas. So, well, you got to get back to work. Simon, we got to go make our bets because now we can do like we did with NFL Futures and just bet the entire field for the Masters. Which- I might have- one more for you. I'm about to go do a one-on-one with Phil Mickelson as part of my radio duties. I just talked to Justin Thomas before we started this pod. Uh, after speaking with him, I moved him up from four to three, I believe, for now on my rankings. Uh, about to go talk to Phil Mickelson, and I'll find out where I should put him. All right. Well, listen, there's, not, there's never anything wrong with putting you know, a 10 spot on Phil Mickelson, if only because it would be worth the karma investment to see him win and what the uh, interviews and the celebration around Phil Mickelson would be because there's no better friend to gamblers in all of sports than Phil Mickelson. Phil would put 10 on you. So you should put 10 on Phil. Exactly. That's exactly right. All right. This has been the favorites podcast from the volume podcast network. The volume is now on YouTube. We'll be uploading new episodes and clips daily, including some past interviews and moments from all of our shows. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash the volume. For Jason Sobel, for Simon Hunter, I am Chad Millman. Download us from Apple Podcasts, from Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We will be back on Thursday or the best podcast in the world, the Matt Mitchell-produced Thursday Thunderdome. Until next time, love you.